Hey there, Paisani. We're in the dog days of summer, but summer plus Italy equals Media Set Italia. Experience an Italian entertainment getaway on DirecTV with all the newest drama, variety, news, and entertainment from Media Set Italia. Get Media Set Italia a la carte for $10 a month plus taxes or Italian Direct Package for $20 a month plus taxes. Call 877-778-4794 today. That's 877-778-4794. World Direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package. Hardware is available separately. Additional fees and restrictions apply, and new customer offers require an equipment lease and credit approval. Other conditions apply. Call 1-877-778-4794 or visit att.com for full details. Now, enjoy the show. that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great from the moment you're a small bambino you eat pizza you drink vino then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. Buongiorno, welcome back everybody to another episode of the original and one and only Italian American podcast. I'm John Viola, joining you on this beautiful August day. Happy to be back, and uh, I'm coming to you by myself today, flying solo, because this is what I do 100% of my time. I talk about my life as an Italian American, and I bring you interesting and dynamic Italian Americans from around the country that can share their stories with all of you out there who are dying to know more about what makes our community so great. So here we are to explore a little deeper into uh, some really interesting aspects of the Italian American experience. And we're here today with a great guy, somebody whose name is out there quite a bit lately because he has put together an amazing project he's going to share with all of you, uh, Mr. Robert Bruzio. Robert, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. John, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to have you here. We, we've run across each other a lot over the years, and we know a lot of the same people, and uh, yep. I'm really glad we can do this together today. No, I appreciate it. I really do. Looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great one. So, Robert, obviously a big part of what brings us here, uh, we're going to talk about a whole range of stuff because our show is predicated on the idea that Italians cannot focus on one topic and we're going to wander and meander and talk about all <laughs> kinds of stuff. But uh, obviously it's timely because you have just released the first film that you've ever produced at, at this kind of level, written, it's your vision, this is your baby. Yeah. The film is called Bottom of the Ninth. Yes. Tell us about it. Okay. The film is called Bottom of the Ninth. Um, it stars Joe Manganiello and Sofia Vergara, first time husband and wife working together. Um, and we can get into... Like, that sounds like that a joy, about. yeah. It's just, yeah, it was, it's an, it was an incredible journey yeah. on how that came about. But as you know, I was saying, the um, film, actually the story was inspired uh, about 2003 
I spent a lot of time with a very close relative of mine that uh, was away uh, in prison for a long time. And when I saw him come home, uh, I stayed with him closely and I observed how this high that he had for being home. Yeah. And then not too long, that high just he just plummeted because life really started hitting him. Yeah. And he was having a hard time acclimating. And, you know, everybody in his world, everybody in his family has grown and moved on. And he pretty much was starting at that point. Yeah. So it affected me profoundly. And I started thinking, wow, you know, this is quite a character study. And then I started building upon infusing my own passions for baseball, the New York Yankees in particular. I said, well, what if, you know, you have this guy who threw away a lot. You know, at the world at his feet, and threw it away by one mistake, mm. one night that any of us can fall into. You know, one one moment of rage, and uh, how would he be able to bounce back from that? I want to dig into your family, your upbringing, sure. how these things are infused. But before we get into any of that, let's set the table. Tell us uh, what's the heart of the story here. It's a story about a one-time baseball phenom who winds up killing a kid in a street fight. He had a contract with the New York Yankees, and one night he's out with his buddies in the Bronx, and he uh, winds up in this altercation, sort of a gang fight, and he kills a kid, throwing away his, his career. He goes to jail for 17 years. Um, it was really about nine years that he got sentenced for, and then about another eight or nine just for staying alive mm. in prison. Comes home and is struggling, having a hard time to acclimate. Bumps into the girl that he left behind, tries to rekindle that relationship, and simultaneously he gets offered by an ex-minor league coach to mentor some troubled minor leaguers and reluctantly takes the job. But when he does, he starts to discover that he still has his skills and he gets another shot mm. at the age of 38 to make it to the majors. So it's a redemption story. Yes. Uh, it's set around New York City, the yes. New York Yankees. Obviously, the Bronx, Staten Island... Some stuff in Long Island that's clearly close to home for you. Grew up on Arthur Avenue. Yes. Tell us a little about your family, when they came over from Italy, where they came from. You grew up your whole life on Arthur Avenue. What was that like? Well, my parents came from Calabria. They uh, immigrated here in the late 60s. My sister was born in Italy in 1966. And then at six months uh, old, they moved here when my sister was and I wound up being born in America. But I've been going back to Italy my whole life. My where, where in Calabria? Uh, Cosenza oh, is beautiful. the city. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a, a, a town called Pedace, which is a, a provincia of Cosenza. But then there's a frazione of Pedace I love that. called Perito. <laughs> I love when you have a frazione. That's like a, that my, our, our co-host, Pat, who's uh, not here today. He's heading out to Baltimore. Um, Pat's town is famous in my estimation because he talks about it so much his, his town quote unquote is called San Mango Cilento but it's a frazione of another city which I won't ever mention on the air because he refuses to admit that it's a frazione <laughs> but it happens a lot down south you know oh yeah and, it, and it's great because this little frazione that belongs to you know to the, the bigger town Pedace there's such a, a, a competitive rivalry. And of course. I, and, and my mother is from Pedace, oh, and my father's from Perito. That's great. So I grew up with like, well, That's you know, great. you people from Pedace. Meanwhile, it's like a stone throw We're away. sick in the head. <laughs> I know. I mean, my, my grandparents were from 
my grandfather's father came from Basilicata and his mother came from uh, Caserta. But somehow, which I can never figure out, uh, they met and eventually ended up in the middle of those two places mm-hmm. in a town called Sanza, which uh, is where my grandmother's family came from. And when my grandfather was born, the family had moved from Sanza to this, I think it's a few kilometers down the road, this town called Bonabitacola. And my grandmother always had commentaries on how the people on the mountain in Sanza were, I, I think, you know, a little <laughs> bit more esteemed than the people in Bonabitacola. And I'm thinking, you know, gosh, it's like a matter of blocks, you know? It's like being from Brooklyn and Queens and thinking it's a world away. But for them, it was a huge difference. It yeah. meant a lot. Yeah. So, Calabresi family, before we get into your life, I have to ask the question that we ask always here. Pat's not here to ask it. Did you grow up speaking Calabrese? I did. Yeah. Actually, it was my first language. That's, That's awesome. what we spoke at home. Yeah. We have a big debate here as to, like, we, we just did an episode on raising kids. And do you raise them with your regional language, or do you raise them with Italian, or do you raise them, you know, how do you keep these languages alive? It's a big I, deal for us. I have a bit of a theory on it, you know, because my, my wife is also Italian-American, um, but she's like third or fourth generation, so she, her parents didn't even didn't. speak Italian. Yeah. But I think what, what happened that turn of the century, they may have been not much looking back yeah. when they arrived exactly. here, yeah. so they just said, look, you know, learn the language, mm-hmm. this is where acclimate and move forward. When my father and my mother came, travel, you know, in the 60s, and, and once, you know, my father was able to establish and able to afford to travel, he took every opportunity to do so. So my yeah. father's always maintained and still to this day uh, instills in us the Italian culture. Yeah. It's a huge... It's, so it's, it's a different mentality. A, I think there's a people... I mean, obviously we talk about it a lot on this show and it comes up a lot, but I think there's a big gap between the generations that came here before World War II and the generations that came after. Right. Because when I was at NIAF, I was traveling the world to interact with the Italian diaspora. So Australia and South Africa and Canada and all these places, you know, a lot of that migration was post-World War II. And I found that my friends whose families came here, or even my relatives that came mm-hmm. here after the war, had a lot more in common with that diaspora globally and in terms of the idea of preserving the culture, then those who were here before kind of, frankly, had to put it on hold or even in some cases run away from it because you could keep the trappings of it, but it was like learn, learn English, function as an American, and I think the country was different too after the war and this idea of sort of a, a mosaic of multiculturalism. Right, probably that's didn't true exist too. Before, you yeah, know? after World War Two, yeah, it, it, it was. Yeah. There was a different culture, which you know, white kid teeny boppers like dancing to Connie Francis and Frank Sinatra. They would not have happened <laughs> before, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> right. uh, I think it's a, a different world. But I'm glad to know you speak it because we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do a series on the regional languages of the South, and we're really gonna work on trying to put together uh, panels of speakers of either. Sicilian, Pugliese, Calabresi, Napolitan, and try to at least create like a rudimentary standard right. where we can have something that even if it's a, an introductory set of audio or video to pass on to people because it's hard to find a standard way to learn these things. A lot of it's to the town itself and how you say things in your town. And Well, you know. like I said, even there's certain words that there's different variations between where my mother's from and where my father lived, you know, they're they're like, yeah. you know, like two blocks away. It's amazing, yeah. And, and, and certain, like my grandmother on my mother's side would say, you know, scissors one way. And, and, and so how would they say it? She, in pedace, she said forfici mm. or or forbici, mm-hmm. and and perito, it's a forbici. 
It's amazing. So it's it? like, you know. It's yeah. crazy. I love yeah. that. I knew a person who, like, uh, his parents came from, like, basically Graziana. And uh, one of them said something like that, Amana for tomorrow. And another, the mother said Kaya from the old Latin for tomorrow. And I always found that oh, amazingly wow. fascinating that you could be, you know, somehow the Latin hadn't evolved into Italian, a town over, you know. It just really amazed me. But that's part of the challenge with these languages. So you know, it's big. pretty interesting, the, the Latin influence on the Southern Italian. I remember when, because my father also encouraged me to, to learn proper Italian. Yeah, sure. Or, or Tuscan. Yeah, Tuscan. We always said Florentine Italian, yeah. yeah. But my teacher, you know, like when we, adesso means mm -hmm. now. But in Southern Italian, you say mo. Mm -hmm. Mo means yeah. now, right? But mo, I guess, comes from mox. Yes, Pat would love this conversation, absolutely. So, and, yeah. and mox is, is Latin, is Latin yeah. for now. Yeah. So it's, it's My wife and I always say movang is like a big uh, vang, phrase yeah. in our house. Um, so you grew up obviously yeah. deep in the culture, back and forth to Calabria, and on Arthur Avenue of all places. So, you know, without... I don't know how many of our guests like to give away their age, but Arthur Avenue in the 70s, 70s 80s. I mean, 70s, 80s. It's yeah. a different world. Yeah. For those who don't know, Arthur Avenue, we talk about it a lot. It's the sort of capital of the Italian-American community of Belmont and the Bronx. It's a, it's a vibrant little yeah. even today. Well, it, it's known for being called the Little Italy in the Bronx. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and some of us will argue it's the real Little Italy. <laughs> Everybody from the Bronx, my wife is from the Bronx, they all argue it's the real Little Italy. And in many ways it has a case to be probably one of the last authentic Little Italy's left, where people still live and work in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank God for the vendors. There. Yes. You know, yeah. they, they really maintain it. Um, but yeah, when I grew up there, it was predominantly Italian. You know, the, the, the people in the neighborhood, like those stores and those shops, they were set up for the people that lived there. Yeah. Um, now most of the residents... Are, are not really yeah. Italian, but the, but the shops and the stores are still there because a lot of people from all over. Yeah, it's a destination. It's, it's a destination place, and, and it still maintains that old world. But, you know, we grew up in, in, in that era where you had beach chairs on the front stoop and everybody hung out, and in the summertime, who hung out on the fire escape and on the roof. You know, you've, you've heard these stories. No, I caught the tail end of it as a kid in my neighborhood. I mean, the people were still outside every night in the summer, my grandmother, her sisters. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. and, and on Sundays, I was just telling a couple of friends yesterday who I, you know, we went to dinner there, and, and I said the street on Sundays was filled with guys reading newspaper <laughs> and their hats, and, you know. Yeah. It, it, it was great. It was a wonderful place to grow up. I always get the sense that, like, there's... Maybe it comes from my time in Naples, um, and I, I often hesitate to swap in Naples and the whole South, but I think the beauty of Italian America is these neighborhoods did take on flavors from, I mean, we're 87% Southern diaspora, but there's people from all over Italy, but um, it takes on this sort of mishmash, and it, I, I feel like Italians were made more unified here in the United States than they were in Italy, actually. Oh, that's for sure. But I think I this believe. idea of living outdoors, living out in, in your neighborhood, and that's so predominant in the South to me. You know, being in, in the piazza and uh, being out at night, taking passeggiata, you yeah. know, that to me just sort of hit steroids here in the United States. And, and Probably the, the kind of yearn that Baeza yeah, feeling. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know? and, and that's one of the things that I think the Arthur Avenue neighborhood has. It still has that Baeza oh, town feeling. Definitely. You know, my, my kids get blown away when we walk, and, and every 10 feet I'm stopping to say hello to somebody. You know, they grew up in the suburbs, so yeah. they're, they're, they're not used to that. Yes. That's not easy to have today. It's, it's, it's not. not easy anywhere. It's not even easy in city neighborhoods anymore right. because cities are barely, I mean, living in New York. There's barely a neighborhood feel in the cities. Like, I came from Brooklyn 
and went to Jersey as a young kid. And so when I could, with all due respect to Jersey, my family found the only town in New Jersey with no Italians. So I was like a, an alien in isolation. So I knew I wanted to come back to the city, and I moved back to college. I went to Fordham. And so when I was growing up, we did our shopping in the neighborhood. I didn't know Arthur Avenue existed. So I walked out of Fordham one day, and I'm like, wait a minute. What kind of paradise is this? And this is, you know, almost 20 years ago. So there was still, like, you'd go in the market, there was still a guy selling pots and pans. Yeah. And like, you know, it, it was really not touristy. It had some tourists, but... And uh, that sense of neighborhood for somebody who had longed for it so, so long was absolutely one of the most beautiful things and you know I, I think about you're coming from there obviously it's a famous neighborhood but a lot of famous residents uh, Dion DiMucci and Deanna McBelmonts uh, Chaz Palminteri my absolutely dear friend David Greco from Mike's Deli who I talk about a lot because we do a lot of yeah um, we, we run around together all the time um, grew up with David it's the best my the best. Life. I mean David yeah. has been great to me and gave me so much time and, and resources and support when I was at NIAF and did all these projects with me and took me to places. But it's a neighborhood that has produced some great characters. And I've gotten to know some of them. And they just, you, if you have it in your heart, they do just kind of adopt you. You know, you become part of that neighborhood, I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I understand from a little bit of reading, um, is it true that you almost landed the role of Godro in a Bronx tale? Yeah, and... and uh, it would have been in part because of David Greco's brother, Marco. Yeah. Um, Marco was involved in, in trying to cast a lot of people for that movie in the early 90s. And I just started breaking into acting. And uh, they were holding open auditions on Arthur Avenue for, for young guys. And Marco called me in, and, and I went in, and, uh, and, and I read. And didn't think much of it afterwards and I went to California for a little bit and I get a phone call from my dad you know this was pre-cell phones mm. and my dad says yeah some lady Jill somebody uh, from Tribeca they, <laughs> I says dad wait a minute well, was, it was Robert De Niro's company wow and I called up right away and they're like yeah you know Mr. De Niro saw your tape and he'd love for you to come in wow I was like oh my god so I flew back right away obviously and uh, auditioned and yeah, you know, I mean, I read with him and, and with uh, Chaz, and it was funny too because I'm this primal kid here, yeah. and, and and I even asked De Niro, I was like, you know, are these the right sides? And, you know, like, <laughs> and he's looking at me like, yeah, are they? And, and he's asking me, and I'm like, what am I doing asking? Him? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, he, he wound up, I think, kind of like they had me read for another role because I think they found yeah. the kid who did wind up playing because and he was perfect for the yeah, role. Great, yeah. But they wanted me to be one of the other characters called Crazy Mario. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I was 24. Yeah. And the kids that they were casting were about 16. Yeah. yeah. So I was a bit old yeah. to meet up with them. And, uh, you know, it was that, yeah. I got that real taste of getting that, really that close. You imagine, know? I can imagine that. And, and, and that may have sustained me to, to stay in the business. <laughs> you, know? you need it in this business. I, yeah. I, I popped around it a little bit years ago and learned a lot about it. And, uh, Actually, the, the one project that I worked on, God knows how, in L.A., I got to work with Catherine Narducci, who yeah. had gotten cast in a similar way, right? She came in with her son and ended up playing Claudio's mother. And, you know, she comes from East Harlem. Wonderful um, actress. Oh, just a great lady. And, I mean, that's the beauty of being Italian, I think, or Italian-American. I got to know her out in L.A. working together. And she knew I was from Brooklyn. She was from East Harlem. You know, and you know this business in the, in the movie business. You, you do get to know people on a close level because you're together constantly, but it's a short period of time, so you kind of come and go. 
But uh, by the end of the shoot, she was coming over to my house. My family came into town. She made homemade manigot. It was like, you know, you, you, you just sort of fell into this neighborhood, even though we were thousands of miles away in California. And uh, she, she remained someone I admire greatly yeah. and is a great actress. But so that movie, I mean, definitional to the neighborhood, right? Or to yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the Bronx Tale is yeah. about that neighborhood. And I, and I think it's a, it's a testament to Jazz's love for the place and, and, and how all of us have this great love for the neighborhoods we come from. Well, the thing that I admire so much about Chaz is that, you know, in any artist, is he really drew from truth, yeah. from what he grew up with. And that's what I tried to also infuse in uh, my screenplay, and that, became that's, Bottom of the Night. That's a great direction. <clears throat> How did the story come about? I know we talked briefly about your family member, but from there, you had to sit down someday and say, okay, now I have to fictionalize this thing, right? What, what yeah. hit? What hit? Well, when I thought about what had happened to him and what he threw away, and, 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 and if you knew him, he, he could have had the world at his feet. I mean, he was a guy that, really good looking, could have been a movie star, mm -hmm. um, so likable, uh, everyone loves him, very well networked, and I'm like, you know, it, what if he didn't go away? What yeah. if he, he could have been something? But, you know, as a storyteller, as a screenwriter, you, you always try and find this character, okay, this is a good character study, but what's the mountain that he has to climb? Mm -hmm. What is the obstacle that he has to go through? And I said, well, what if he was a baseball player, was signed with the Yankees, and now he may get another shot at playing with the Yankees? What biggest mountain in baseball Man. is there than playing for the New York sure. Yankees? Yeah. And you know, and, and I'm also playing with the line of plausibility because he gets out at the age of 38. Right. Now you've seen movies like The Rookie and The yeah. Natural where they're older, and you're, you're really messing with reality right. that they can play at that age, at that level. But I think if you're engaged in the characters and you love the characters, and I always wanted to tell something sort of Rocky-esque, mm. sort of uh, feel-good, yeah. comeback, underdog story. So I combined this character with a guy who's trying to make it to play with the New York Yankees at a certain age and started molding this story around. And, and I really wanted to set it in my neighborhood um, because the neighborhood is a character. Yeah, itself. absolutely. Yeah. And there's that element there of how it also changed over 17 years sure so that's how i just started creating this I, story i sometimes i think the underdog story you know look i mean i always hesitate to go too far in the direction of sort of claiming things that are universal for the italian american right obviously the underdog story is the underdog story but i do feel like there's a little um sense of familiarity with it in our culture like that idea of like you know even when the circumstances are down you can put your head down and work hard and it's not about the assumed glory of it all you know what i mean it's about the accomplishment of it all i think that that's i think it goes on a deep level for italians too it's it, not only it's in our culture but even you know many catholic in, in, in a christian uh, world I mean, the whole Bible is a story yeah. of redemption. That's true, yeah. Right? So, yeah. so it's just something that I think as humans we gravitate to. Yeah. You know, we all, we all make mistakes, and it's how do we uh, come back from those mistakes, and what do we learn from it? And I also think, like, there's a, there's a psychology to the Italian soul, and this is north and south. Um, because Italy, from the fall of Rome through the 1860s, really spent so much time conquered by other cultures mm -hmm. and then when you go down south you put the extreme on there which is you know conquered by other foreign cultures 
um, volatile in its nature, earthquakes, uh, volcanoes. I mean, when you have that habitual sense of being kind of the perpetual underdog, right? I mean, you're not, you're not you know, the, the decisions of the society you're in are not really in your hands. And right. I, I think that heaping on of difficult circumstances does just dig into and stay in the soul and psychology of people. We talk a lot about blood memory. I think that's built into who we are. It's probably in our DNA. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Like I really you said. Do. And part of it could also be, you know, uh, when they immigrated here, you know, they, they many came with nothing. Yeah. And, you know, talk about an underdog. Talking about an underdog, yeah. And, yeah. and, and working hard yeah. and, and probably getting beat up a lot. Yeah. Not, not physically, but, you know, yeah. beat up for or, life, yeah, And both, yeah. And probably both. Yeah. And still trying to, you know, uh, have a good life. Yeah, keep on persevering. Keep on persevering. So, so, yeah. and, and so baseball, obviously, of any sport, is the most likely to uh, to afford somebody that opportunity for redemption because it's a, it's a patient game. You can be a little bit older. You know, it's just not. What, what I love about baseball, and, and what I loved about baseball for this story, um, one for me, baseball, I think, is a romance to it. And, and, and also, it's very Americana. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we talked when we were trying to make the movie, well, what if we change the sport because baseball is really, doesn't translate well globally. Mm -hmm. But our original director for the movie uh, was John Avildsen, who won the Academy Award for Rocky. Mm. Wow. And, and here's a funny story. You know, when we were um, actually pitching to, to financiers and pre-selling the movie, uh, they asked John, well, what do you think about baseball? And we're looking at him, and he says, well, I think baseball's boring. Hmm. And we went, what? John, we're trying to sell a, you're trying to sell a movie. What are you doing? Uh, honesty's honesty, I guess, right? Well, yeah. now they also asked him, well, what did you think of boxing? He says, well, I think boxing is stupid. <laughs> now, here's the guy who won the Academy Award for Rocky. But his, he made his point. He goes, but it's not about the sport. It's not about baseball. Yeah. It's not about boxing. Yeah. It's about a human struggle. He yeah. said, I don't care if it's about cockroach racing. It's, it's not, it's not, he says, you're going to tell me uh, Gone with the Wind was about the Civil War? Yeah, it's true. You know, it's not. It's about the people. Yeah. So we all said, you know what? Who cares that it's baseball? I mean, and, and but I, it also helps because there's so many metaphors in baseball, yeah. like you said, about you know, striking out and, oh, getting, and going back up to bat and getting another chance. Game, you know? And it's it really the bottom is. of the ninth. Yeah. You have your last shot yeah. to, to, you know, so... There's a balance to baseball. Yeah. In this. And, and I always think, you know, and we're going to talk about it a little bit because baseball plays obviously a big role in the film. Um, the, the, the idea that this is America's pastime and a great metaphor for the meritocracy of the United States and talk about the Yankees, right? I grew up a Yankee fan. You grew up a Yankee fan. I always felt like the Yankees were a great Italian-American franchise because you had Phil Rizzuto, Yogi Berra, Joe DiMaggio, Joe DiMaggio and I. And, you know, my grandfather grew up in Brooklyn after he came here, but he rooted for the Yankees because of DiMaggio. And I always come back to that because you know, baseball for I mean, look, Jackie Robinson, Roberto Clemente for, for marginalized people, Hank Greenberg for those of us that were coming here, and you were not going to get the job on Main Street right away and you know you were going to be doing the, the background work of this country for generations but baseball and boxing to its credit were the place where your people could be catapulted onto a national stage and looked at for their merit and it's a meritocratic game you get up the same amount of times as the other team and you know the, there's so much balance to it and it's just a great story for this kind of stuff yeah yeah, yeah absolutely so baseball factors into the, the film obviously but you worked with a gentleman who's part of the Yankees organization. 
Rain of Grom. Yes. Tell us how that came about and tell us about Ray. I had the good fortune of meeting Ray through a friend um, named Anthony Ronaldo, who was also trying to help us get the movie off the ground. And he handed the script over to Ray. Now, just to set Ray's background, and for people who, who don't know, Ray was a kid from the streets in, in the Bronx, and I think it was like 1973 or 74, and he was writing graffiti on Yankee Stadium. On the real Yankee Stadium. On the stadium, real Yankee Stadium. For those stadium, of us in the area, in, yeah. In, in the Bronx. And as he's doing it, he got caught red-handed <laughs> and thrown in a holding cell that used to be underneath Yankee Stadium and was, you know, frightened. And the person that caught him came back and said, you have a debt to pay for the damages you caused on the stadium. Show up here tomorrow, put on a uniform, and you're going to work as a bat boy to work off your debt. The man that caught him was George Steinbrenner, who had just bought the New York Yankees. Yeah, for those of you who are not from New York or not baseball fans, George Steinbrenner is... You probably still know about George Steinbrenner because he was the prototypical bombastic, made every decision owner of the Yankees for a long, long time. And, and his family still owns it. The family does still own it. Yeah, George has passed. But, and he took Ray under his wing. Under his, pretty much raised him. Wow. And, and changed his life. Sure. I mean, yeah. to the, and, and, and George uh, Steinbrenner's mantra to him was, always remember what I did for you. Wow. You know, you got a second chance here. So when Ray read the screenplay to, uh, that I wrote, um, he really gravitated towards it. It affected him because it was about a guy getting a second yeah, chance. Yeah, of course. So he came on board and offered uh, helping us get cooperation from the Yankees. That's fantastic. And so he's an associate producer on the movie. And when you get to know Ray, he's one of the biggest hearts that you can ever meet. And again, this was all influenced from, you know, George Steinbrenner was known as that hard-nosed sure. decision-maker businessman yeah. in, in, in the uh, public eye. Yeah, that's what he looked like—that cold businessman. But deep down, he was one of the warmest, sweetest, uh, sweetest, and uh, intentionally anonymous. Yes, generous man. Yeah, uh, I actually, I actually bat boyed for a year for the Yankees. Did you what year? In two thousand. Oh, all right. Yeah. So I mean, did I you know Ray? Ray? I, did you? He would not pick me out of a lineup because right. Right. I was kind of like I got into it. Did it for a year, and then I thought to myself, "This is a little too close to something I love. I'm not going <laughs> to." But uh, yeah, I got to see that franchise and that spirit of the Steinbrenners, and yeah, he was a total time bomb. But at the same time, took care of everybody, cared about everybody, and did so much work anonymously. So for Ray to be part of that culture there, yeah, it, it's well, well, Ray also introduced me then to Robert Malloy, who's George Steinbrenner's grandson, and he's also a, a film producer. He's produced a few pictures, uh, and he also loved the screenplay and came on board as an associate producer. So that, that's how we were able to get uh, the Staten Island field that mm -hmm. we shot at, the minor yeah. league park. with the Staten George, Island, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, Richmond County. Richmond County Ballpark. Ballpark. George, yeah. and, and again, you know, have you been there? Um, if you I look have, out yeah. towards the outfield, you see the skyline of yeah. lower Manhattan. Yeah. Where are you going to recreate that? No, you that, can't make right? that up, so, yeah. It's authentic. It's another beauty that we were able to, to have in our movie. I mean, to be able to have the Yankees on board, that had to be a big boon to your confidence going forward, right? That you were going to get this thing done. Unbelievable. I mean, it took a long time to get this movie off the ground. And, and what I kept telling my wife, too, I said, but a lot of high-caliber people are responding to this. Yeah. And if I wasn't getting that kind of reaction, I would have 
Because when you're in this business, you learn that, I think, over time. Like, you kind of know when something's going to happen it, and it, If not. something is just not working, yeah. I had the good fortune to come up with a good story, yeah. you know, to, to a screenplay that, that people responded to. And you, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, and I, I don't want to confuse the audience, since you didn't just stumble off the back of the turnip truck into the movie business, you've been around for a long time, but this is kind of the first, I would say, project that is your real passion project, yeah. right? Yeah. A lot of people don't get to have that in their career. You know, they, yeah, you, and I'm you, very grateful for you, that. You're, you're yeah, extremely lucky, and obviously it takes a ton of hard work and confidence. Um, you you get to this point, you've got this going, now you got to cast this thing. How did... Joe Maganello come around, and were you involved? Did you pick him before? What? Where did he come from? Well, the way it came about was I had a, a little production company, and we were doing local TV commercials. And Burt Young, who played Paulie yeah, in sure. the Rocky movies, had a restaurant in the Bronx. Yeah. And I got hired to do a commercial for wow. the restaurant, and Burt was there. And Burt took a real liking to me. And so we started working together. I helped him with a film project he was trying to get off the ground. Uh, we did a short movie together. And one day he invited me to the set of Rocky Balboa. Um, actually, I kind of invited myself to tell the truth. <laughs> why, why not? Amongst <laughs> paisans, you could do that. But but I I had you know a, a reason too because I said you know what maybe one of the producers there I can say hello to and one day reach out to them sure. and and give this Rocky type yeah. script to. Um, so you 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 had it all the way then. That's I had it six. Wow, two thousand six. They were filming in, in in Philadelphia in the heart wow. of the winter, and I drove out there, and I was introduced to a producer named uh, Bill Chartoff. His uh, father was Robert Chartoff, who produced the original Rocky gotcha. and and with Erwin Winkler. Anyway, I didn't, you know, I, I was respectful, uh, very respectful, and didn't give any indication. I just, you know, was happy to meet him. Yeah. At the same time, I. I Expert, what do you think if I can call John Avildsen, who directed Rocky? Yeah. And Bert, at this point, took such a love to me. I mean, almost like a father, son, yeah. uncle, nephew type of thing. He says, here's his number. Call him. I don't care. Go ahead. <laughs> and I did. And John was like, okay, all right, you're Bert's friend. Uh, send this thing yeah. over. Fine. To my surprise, two days later, I get a phone call. Wow. I love this. I want to do it. Wow. I was like, wow. This is... That's amazing. I mean, Academy Award-winning director yeah. is telling me he wants to That's direct my, my screenplay. I reach out to Bill Chardoff at his office, and I says, Bill, we met on Rocky Balboa, a uh, friend of Burt, um, got the screenplay to John Avildsen. He goes, yeah, well, you know what? Send send it over. I'd love to read it. I, I, there's something attractive to me about baseball, and, and, and it's an underdog story, and yeah. right up our alley. Wow. He came on board. So next thing you know, we have this Rocky type of thing yeah. going. Yeah, and now you got this team. And we have this team. With that, we were able to re- go out to actors. You know, you know, it's very hard without money. Oh, sure, to, of course. To, to, to make, but because of the pedigree, yeah, people were interested in listening. Yeah, I learned that you could have like three things. I mean, a good distribution, a ton of money, or the right team of creatives around it. Those kind of it, it, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So Joe Maganello was one of the first actors that you know wanted to reach out to because Italian American and he's a Athletic and you know he's a great, act, great yeah. actor. So he reads the screenplay, and he also responded to it right away. I think he was probably going through some personal stuff in his life that he felt, you know, th- th- this spoke to him. Yeah. At a certain level, so he became so passionate. He also wanted to be, come on board as a producer. Wow. Before he even knew Sophia, Sophia Vergara, yeah. his wife, yeah. um, he 
said to John, well, what do you think of that Sofia Vergara actress? And John's like, he calls me up and he says, you know, Joe's wonderful. He, he, he's asking about Sofia Vergara. What do you think? And I said, John, you know, it was originally written for an Italian-American from Arthur Avenue, yeah. an Italian girl. Uh, but, you know, I grew up in the Bronx, multicultural. Yeah. There was a, many Latinas. And I mean, it was, I, said, I think she's wonderful. It was great. So he says, you know, let's make a play and try and go out for her. Joe starts dating Sophia. Wow. So this is great. We're like, Joe, you could just hand her the script. <laughs> Joe says, nah, you know what? We're not going to do it together, you know, because our relationship, we're in the public eye. We don't want to be in that kind of scrutiny. Fair enough. It, it is fair enough, yeah. but it's like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> it's so close. It's like, come on. <laughs> it's true. You know. Uh, so now back to the drawing board. I'm trying to find an actress. At that time, while we were trying to find an actress, Sophia was having was not getting a lot of scripts. She was getting a little daunted because she kept getting offered characters like that bubbly Latina, yeah. similar to what she plays, she plays on Modern Family. Modern family. Yeah. So Joe said, look, read the script and tell me what you think. And from the way he tells the story, he slipped her the, the screenplay and she read it and from what I understand had tears in her eyes and wow. said, I love it, you know, let's just do it. So and she was in, he was in, you've got Rocky's director, the producers, now the the eventual director of the film. Is Raymond DiFolito, yeah. yes. Um, what happened was John unbeknownst to us had gotten ill and then, uh, and then he passed away you know prior to us filming and again you know this always goes back to Burt Young I met Raymond DiFolita um, uh, who directed a movie called City Island great movie yeah one great with Andy movie. Garcia yeah, and he did a movie, movie uh, Rob the Mob and he did uh, um, uh, Madoff which mm. was on ABC not the one with De Niro on HBO the one with Richard Dreyfuss and, and Raymond is just a, a, an incredible director and I and, and if you see City Island, I mean, you just see his how he wrote that directed yeah. it. I uh, we were talking, and I spoke with Bill Chardoff, and Bill Chardoff says my father loved City Island. Raymond, I think would be great. So I had Raymond's number from Bert. Bill calls up Raymond, and Raymond responded to the material as well. And to our benefit, he jumped on board right away. Yeah. So now you got another. Now you got Italian American director. Italian right? American director. Yeah. So between yourself, him, Joe Maganello, let, let me do, play the Hollywood Reporter here. Is Joe Maganello really into being Italian? Does he identify? He does. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, a lot of guys does. don't, you know, and I think that that makes a difference. It, it, it's funny. He, I think he just spent some time in, in uh, Italy in Positano with his wife, and he was doing you know the talk shows, and and he was raving about ah, I was amongst my people that's great <laughs> yeah. that's fantastic so it's, it's, yeah. it was so great to, and, he, and he died I mean I got to know him personally as well and yeah. he, he, he loves the Italian and, and, and when I brought him to Arthur Avenue the first time you know again he was one of the producers and there was talk of doing a movie maybe in uh, Canada because it would be less expensive sure. or maybe even Ohio save some money and I kept saying I, you, you can't replicate yeah that neighborhood yeah, you're just not going to be able to do it there's DNA there and I would bring one producer at a time <laughs> and give them the tour them to, yeah, that's and, and, and we go eat and, yeah. and, and say stop and say hello to this person stop and say and they were all falling in love with the place then when I brought Joe Joe called everybody up we're doing the movie here that's there's just fair. no way we're doing it you can't replicate else. it really yeah. Every, I mean there's so few authentic neighborhoods left 
you can't replicate that kind of stuff. Yeah, and 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 it's a, and it's character in the in the, in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I remember David Greco calling me and saying like, "You're not gonna believe this. My friend's making a movie here, and they're filming at the deli, and uh, I I'm and he's sending me people taking pictures of him giving food over and stuff, and you know I know." In many ways, for those neighborhoods too, you know, local guy makes good, comes home. There's also some sense of contributing to the neighborhood lore that way. You know what I mean? You're 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 giving it its due recognition on the silver screen, and, yeah. And you're preserving it really for future generations as a snapshot in time. But it, you know, it means something for these movies to be filmed in these neighborhoods. You know? Yeah, it does. I was very proud and and. and thrilled beyond belief that we were able to film there. I mean, one thing about a Bronx, it's such a great movie, and it's yeah. awesome, but they didn't film in the neighborhood. Yeah. They were, they, they, uh, for whatever logistic reasons or whatever it was. Um, but they got the flavor, and they got yeah. the, 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 the sense of what the Did neighborhood they film them was. they filmed in Brooklyn? I think Queens? in Astoria. Astoria. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, we had the good fortune of, of, of actually filming, like, Right next to David Greco, uh, yeah. Mike Stelly. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know the fruit stand that's right. Sure, there. I buy my fruit for Christmas there. Yeah, you know, Joe Boyano. Boyano I know him. They're the greatest. Again, since we're babies. Three three brothers and my two brothers and I go in there and they we we every year every holiday whenever we buy vegetables that's what we get. Yeah, there's a, a a charming scene where Joe's buying like some fruit and some food and stuff and he just got out of prison and doesn't have enough money to pay for what he's buying. He couldn't even like calculate yeah. you know little things that we take yeah. for granted just you know and that's where he bumps into the girl that he left behind and she sees him awkwardly struggling with the money and stuff and she just comes over and says oh i got it don't worry about it and, and that's how they and, and that's all, how they reconnect and that's how they reconnect and it all happened right in front of mike's deli and her character <laughs> what, what a better place to fall in love again than mike's deli and her character so her character was changed uh from italian american to latina um this is a real husband and wife at this point. Are they married at this point when you're filming? When yeah, when we filmed, they they, they had gotten married. Um, she came on board. They were just they had just set plans. They got engaged or something, and, and and they set their plans to get married. What was it like working with a married couple on screen? You know, I mean, it, it, it was great because they're two professionals, and and you know, you could see that they obviously love each other. The yeah. chemistry is there, and yeah. it, and it's on the screen. Yeah. Um, but when it came to doing the work. They were pros. For a writer, you know, you could sit there and think through the project so much and do everything you can to perfect it, but to be able to get real love, real chemistry. I mean, you know, chemistry between actors is one thing, but real genuine love in your project. Yeah. It's like, it's in some ways, you had to feel a little bit like you were continually blessed by God through this Amen. thing to have good fortune, you know? Amen to that. I'm sure that's a, an intangible you just can't, you can't recreate. You know? Not at all. So you did this project over the course of a couple of months. And the movie just came out a few weeks ago, right? July nineteenth is when it July was 19th. released. So yeah, about almost about a little under a month. Yeah. How's it going? It's going well, thankfully. You know, um, we, we got a theatrical release, which we were all thrilled about because independent movies, you know, don't they, always get it. Yeah. Don't always get what it. What was the budget it's, it's for hard. the movie? Uh, just over five million. That's great. That's really pretty reasonable, right? Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah. I, I think in today's climate, you, like that twenty thirty million dollar movie. I don't think fits the business model. Yeah. From what I'm, I've learned, yeah. things can change. Um, so you're either making, you know, the Avengers for two hundred million, <laughs> a gazillion or, dollars, yeah. or, or, or you're making, you know, smaller movies under five, two yeah. million, or, or, or whatever, and they kind of fit in their distribution uh, models. So you know, especially with today's streaming world, there's a place for those movies. Plenty of ways for this stuff to be out there, yeah. And and uh, 
So simultaneously to the theatrical release, it's available on demand, um, on iTunes. It was number one sports movie on iTunes. That's great. For, for a couple of weeks. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it's available on Amazon, Vudu. So you did them all at the same time. Did yeah. The, that's great. That's I mean, that, to me, that's the future of... The well, Saban Films is the distributor, so they... You know, they put them out to everything. Yeah. So, uh, so for the listeners out there, the film's available now. You can you can go watch it. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna download and watch my wife because that it's obviously awesome. something. I appreciate uh, yeah, that. Yeah, to support it, but also because I'm dying to see the the end result. Um, so you know, we know we've discussed that you came from the neighborhood. We've discussed your your heritage. What about the interaction around film? Are you did you grow up as a sort of passionate? Always wanted to be in this business. I know you kind of walked into the production of uh, Bronx Tale haphazardly, but you went out to L.A. Was it always the goal to be in the movie? Business? Yeah, you know, I, I always gravitated toward the, towards the arts. Um, even when I was in high school, I was always involved in drama class and, and theater. And, and uh, But then when I went to college, you know, my, my, my father wisely said, look, get a business degree, get your... You know, but even when... And I went to Pace University. And at the time, Pace University wasn't affiliated with the arts as it is now mm, you know yeah. now it's like affiliated with the actor studio yeah, yeah. And back then it was like accounting finance and psychology <laughs> it's or, a different pursuit yeah it was totally but there was this little theater in the school and again i found myself gravitating towards it and when i graduated the economy wasn't that great you know and then i tried the corporate world and it wasn't just wasn't for me so i said you know what i'm young let me pursue acting yeah and i caught such a love for it even in, in college I excelled for some reason in literature courses, and 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 I was told uh, how much they loved my writing. You know, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I'm just, you know, just doing what I love. Just doing. I'm just writing. Yeah. But I, I kept being encouraged in it, and then I wound up opening up a, a, a little production company. Uh, we tried to get a film off the ground, and people started responding to my writing, and I started getting hired. Yeah. To, to, to write, I started getting, and then and I also did some acting. I, you know, I did some soap opera work here in New York. I was on One Life to Live. Uh, there was another soap opera called Loving. So I, I, I was just, it, it was always ingrained in me. Yeah. You know, going to the movies was always a, I, I would go three movies a week. Yeah. It was just, I could do the same thing. Yeah. You know, my wife it, thinks I'm nuts, but I can go to movies every when day. When you love it, you yeah. love it. You know, when you see a movie like Cinema Paradiso, yeah. it was like, oh, that was me. You well, know, that's what I wanted to ask movie. you. What are your Italian movies or Italian American movies that you sort of, that maybe Initially, inspired you. It, 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 as cliche as it sounds, as whatever, and, and but I had the good fortune of being involved with the people that made it. I was completely influenced by Rocky. Yeah, I mean, course. I saw that movie, and and, yeah. and it, uh, that feeling that I got as a little kid running out of the movie theater, looking for steps to to run up, yeah. to want to do push-ups, to want to. Yeah. Uh, but then in that era, you know, then you had movies like Star Wars, and yeah. then you had movies like. Indiana Jones and that feeling that, that you got when you came out of the movie that energized feeling yeah I wanted to be a part of that always sure that's the difference you know, that's the difference right that, that that's that's the difference so you know as far as Italian American movies but then you know you got uh, the deer hunter which was made by Michael Cimino Cimino but then as you start to, 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 to grow a little more and you start learning Italian movies mm. uh, Ladro di Piccicolette. Oh, right? And, and, and you understand as, as, as an adult, you know, what, what that character is going through. Yeah. And as Lou Monty would say, for those of you out there who don't understand the Italian language, that's the bicycle thief. Uh, yes. One of the most famous 
post-war neo-realistic uh, films in Italian cinema about a dad who's got to steal a bike. Yeah, Victor De Sica. Yeah. Victor De Sica, and it was uh, yeah, he's got to steal a bike just to earn money. Yeah, for his, his, his powerful that movie. If you extreme. haven't seen it out there, you got to make sure to watch it. So I delved into a lot of those movies, but then also at that time, Cinema Paradiso comes out. It's another great one. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, that's unbelievable. And of course, everybody in the world fell in love with Maria Grazia Cucinotta. I mean, you know, I mean, she just exploded yeah. onto the scene, and that's just such a great movie. Yeah, such a great movie. Yeah. Do you uh, do you still watch Italian TV? I do. Yeah. What do you like? Um. Usually I'll be watching a soccer game. Yeah. If I'm watching the Italian, um, I, I I try to stay away from both American and Italian news. Yeah. So <laughs> no, no news. That's it. probably so, good. So I stay away from that. So if, if I'm watching Italian TV, most of the time I'm watching a soccer game. It's an important thing to be able to have uh, in the Italian American family, I think. And for those of you out there, obviously, if you want to be watching Italian TV, you could do it with uh, our sponsor, Media Set Italia. Uh, and the information we shared earlier. But I think that it is important, you know, nowadays to be able to enjoy that kind of stuff in your everyday life and take the influences from both. I mean, I find portrayals of Italian-Americans or, or portrayals of Italy become so discussed in, in all that I'm doing with Italian-American groups. Like, I know uh, my brilliant friend on HBO, yeah. a lot of people have asked about that, or Gamora and these shows, and, you know... Because the media is so prevalent and so easy to access, you know, you talk about the distribution network, um, there's whole new chances to, to engage this stuff. But I get the sense that there's an evolving portrayal of Italian-Americans on film. You talk about Raymond DiFolita uh, and City Island. And again, for those who haven't seen City Island, another one to add to the list to go out and watch. It's about an Italian-American family in a really unique neighborhood in the Bronx. My wife comes from right near there, so I've spent a lot of summer nights on City Island with her, bike, a day's biking. Um, but when I saw that, I remember thinking, like, something was accomplished because the family was clearly Italian-American, but not stereotypical goombas or criminals, and there was not the mafia sort mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, archetype over it. And look, some of those movies, even though they deal with the mob, we always talk about on the show, some of them are really great films. I mean, sure. you can't take away from The Godfather or Goodfellas. I mean, they're great films. Well, well like John Avildsen said, like to me, The Godfather is not about the mafia. It's yeah. not a family. That's that's the thing I you always know, try like, to... Like yeah. Rocky's not about boxing. Yes, exactly. You know, <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. But I think nowadays I'm seeing a lot of <clears throat> different portrayals of Italian-Americans, and I wonder sometimes, is it because there's a new generation like yourself that, you know, sort of lived through these things, not just lived through the experience of them as, uh, in real life, but also lived through this predominance of that archetype and that sort of s stereotype in popular media. Like, I, I, Did it affect you going into this project to stay away from those kind of portrayals? I mean, obviously it doesn't factor into the story, but was it something in your mind? Well, the thing is, is uh, there was really no purpose for it in this story. Um, you know, even though it's about a kid who, who made a mistake and, and went to jail, it doesn't have to be mob-related. Yeah. You know, just like any kid in any neighborhood, kid or any person, you get into a, a, a situation where if you would have crossed this way instead of this way, or 30 seconds sooner, or whatever, you know, a whole different life. it would be a whole different life. But in anything you're doing, do, do you feel a sort of responsibility to provide an alternative view? I mean, are you... Do you think about the mafia stereotype in film as you do this kind of stuff? I do, and sometimes you know you always fear falling into cliches. But you feel even when, just because you're telling an, an underdog story, yeah. you still 
going to fall into cliches. I mean, I've been uh, charged with many underdog cliches in this story. Right. Who cares? They're cliches because they That's work. That's what they're for. Yeah, you know, course, they work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily feel uh, that I have to do a mob story because, you know, uh, I'm an Italian-American and... and no, I mean, you feel like you have to avoid doing them. Like, do you feel like you're, you're, you have to present an alternative? That's, I guess, what I'm asking. I try to be truthful. Yeah. So if the story calls for it, I'm not going to glorify it or do it or exploit it right. just because it's what sells. I mean, yeah. some people who saw the movie and they're like, well, I knew it was about the neighbor, but I didn't see any bang, bang, and this yeah. and that. And I'm like, because it's not that kind right. of movie. Yeah. And, and we don't have to do yeah. that. I want it to be a feel-good family story. Like, why have that element? There's no reason for it. I think a lot of people expect it in some sense. That's exactly urban right. And, you know. That's exactly right. I mean, but but I have, you know, uh, projects that I've been involved in or helped try and create or even wrote. They do have that element, yeah. but it's not about that. Right. You know what I mean? If, it, 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 if they say write what you know. So if I'm writing about my culture where I grew up, sometimes that did exist. And yeah. It, it, you know, it, there's a balance there. It, it, it's like, do I just whitewash it? No, you and, can't. You're, you're, you walk the fine line. Like, there's the negative side that exploits it and makes a, an oversimplified stereotype out of it and, right. and plays on it right. and takes advantage of it. And then there's the other side that pretends it's not there. And, you know, for better or worse, like, I, I, I'm not in the filmmaking business, but I do love storytelling and I love writing and... I've always felt the story that I wanted to tell or help tell was the um, the arc of the Italian American Civil Rights League in the 1970s and Joe Colombo and this idea because having worked in the Italian community, you know, we didn't really have we had the Sons of Italy, mm -hmm. but they were really lodges and local. We didn't really have a national spokesperson organization until 1971 and the birth of the Italian American Civil Rights League, and it's all started by Joe Colombo, who, even though it gets um, sort of ignored or whitewashed a lot of the time, but you know, Joe Colombo was pretty much a known mob boss. Sure. And here he is starting this organization that brings out hundreds of thousands of people, and he gets killed at the rally. I'm sure you lived through it mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the city at the time. And I always thought like that was a really interesting story of our community, because for better or worse, there was a lot of good to what was done in that, in just bringing people together and giving them the idea that there was a national voice to be had. But what a an amazing dichotomy yeah for a community that struggles with that darkness of its social soul to have a mob boss create its first big organization i just found that really fascinating well, I, I was a baby when that happened mm. and i came to learn about it yeah. also and i felt exactly the same way but one of the things that i'm very proud of in this story was that able to tell an italian american story without using that yeah. i think this i think we're i think we're arriving at that now this idea, like I, you have a lot of conversations with Italian actors, and they always, a lot of the ones that I've gotten to know who have done these kind of roles, they'll say, "Look, this is who I am. This is my speech pattern. This is my yeah. like. I'm not getting cast as Shakespeare." And until our community starts putting together movies like yours that have the real version of us well, well, and providing the roles, what do you expect people to play? You know. Well, look at the actors that we have in our movie. Um, Bert Young. Yeah. Plays a small part. Yeah. Vincent Pastore yeah. from The Sopranos. Michael Rispoli yeah. is one. Of, it was fantastic in the movie. He he plays the the head coach. Um, you know, these are guys that that played those characters, and, and they play them great. Yeah, because you got to eat. People got to work. Yeah, 
and, and they're also great actors. Yeah. So, so you know, if, if there's a character that they can sink their teeth into, whether he's a dentist or he's a mobster, yeah. or, or you know, it's about you got to do it. You got to do it. I, I, I've always find it disappointing sometimes, though. Like I, I see now as we go forward, you know, there's the Italian American filmmaker, and there's the Italian American story, and I wonder, are we getting to the point now as a people where it's going to become increasingly difficult to make Italian-American stories of any ilk because we're sort of assimilated into the mainstream. Like, is our story just a mainstream story with with an accent on it? But mm. I see a lot of times, too, when movies are discernibly Italian-American and they are cast, they're not casting Italian-American actors. And I, and I struggle with it sometimes because I think to myself, if everybody wants to combat these stereotypes, well, you got to give these people their opportunities to work, and you got to pr- provide better and more authentic stories, and that's our responsibility for those that are tired of stereotypical well, movies. You know, I think what it is, too, if you look at all cultures, not just at the Italians, a lot of people in entertainment gravitate towards a violence, yeah. you know, any type of violence. That's true. So even black filmmakers, mm-hmm. you know, that when they make movies, they demonstrate like you know their culture yes. and with their world yeah. and, and that, that those elements are there um, that's a great point yeah so, so i think you know from the roman days when we people gravitated to watching lions yes, eating people that's true, yeah. we are <laughs> the gladiators you know, right, fighting yeah, each other that's a good point yeah so so you know w- one thing that an, uh, a wonderful acting teacher taught me and i apply it to all my writing and all my storytelling this is nobody goes to the movies or the theater to see anybody having a good day. That's true, yeah. Right, because it's boring. That's true, yeah. We go there because we want to see people... You want to see conflict. want to see conflict. Yeah. And violence is just, you know... Easy conflict. Easy conflict. Yeah. And, and if it helps tell the story through the human struggle, you know, yeah. then we got it. But if we're just two people talking... So I don't know if it's just we gravitate to the mob stuff because of the Italian thing. It's just, I think, as humans. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the mafia movies for better or worse, are a very easy patina to put on very clear conflict stories. Right. You know? the, the, the problem or the issue for us Italians uh, is, is that then you get stereotyped. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden we're all that. Yes. All of us, is, that's what we do. I mean, which is why... And it's frustrating. We need to, we as a community, we care about this stuff, need to not only um, create but support guys like you who are doing these kind of real pieces on... on the, Parts of what we are on the story of what we are, but also just on our lens onto life. We, we need to do that. Well, like you said, like Raymond DeFelita with City Island. There's yeah. none of that. Else. He did a, a movie uh, called Two Family House, which also about Italian American stars. Michael Rispoli doesn't mm. deal with any of that element. That's important. I think that really is. So, what's next for you now? Where where does the film go in the future? What do you still work on with it, and what are you going to be working on next? Well, with this film, um, as I said, it's out on demand now. Hoping a lot of people get to watch it and, and enjoy it. Yeah. So that's as far as you know. We right you, now, you've released it to the wild. Released it yeah. and, and and just pray that people enjoy it. I mean, ultimately, that's why we do it. Yeah. Right. Um, to, to hopefully have some sort of contribution. Um, but I'm also working on another screenplay. Also deals with second chances, uh, but this time it's in the music industry. Oh, great. Italian-American lead actor. Uh, is it because, you know, just... It's our tribe, you know? It's you what, tell they stories. say write what you know. Yeah, write what you, you know. know. I agree with that, yeah. And, and uh, it, it involves, you know, someone who, uh, you know, 
in, in the Italian wedding band world. And, and oh, I love that. So it, it, there's a lot of what we grew up yeah. with in the, in the stories. There's a lot of color and flavor. And and now that I'm thinking about it, there's no, and, and again, it, it, I don't know if it's conscious or not, but there's no mob stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe there is like, you know, there's a couple of violent scenes. And, and then a little clashing. A lot violence of, is quite, violence. quite a bit I mean, of clashing. Yeah. But so you don't need to fall back on fall stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. So this is a, a screenplay that, and I have a TV series that I'm developing that I'm hoping gets kicks off the ground. That's great. So do you think in the future you have more, I mean, obviously you got more stories to tell. Do you have a consciousness about maybe, obviously you're working on one now, but the Italian American, the Italian American experience being a part of what you're doing going forward. Do you do you feel like you have a task to tell this story? Does it just happen that you're you're telling what you know? I, I think when it's a passion piece, you know, you kind of write through like what kind of trial and tribulations you go through as a person. And yeah, what I tend to do is I'll look at a character and and, and you know really dig into those struggles that I relate to personally, and then create a world and a, and a, and a plot line around that and see how I can convey this person's struggle and how he does or doesn't overcome it. Um, so because it's an Italian-American, it probably because it's maybe another character that might be close to me. Like even in Bottom of the Ninth, I didn't go to prison. I, I, I right. didn't have that kind of experience, but I, I sort of witnessed it close yeah. and I didn't play professional baseball. But the character's struggle about maybe making choices in his life and wondering if he would have decided to do something else and then gets presented what would I have done yeah. and I was going through that in my life yeah. at the time when I was writing it so that's how I my approach I don't think I don't consciously say well let me do something that you know yeah. is uh, non-controversial Italian American yeah. <laughs> you know you, you let the organic I try and make yeah. it happen organically yeah. that's, that's precisely it well, I've heard a lot of good things about the movie. I'm excited to go watch it. And uh, tell us how the reviews have gone. Because for those that haven't oh, been out there, I've reviews. seen them. But tell the audience. Oh, I'm grateful. I mean, uh, we got Thumbs Up with Roger Ebert. Um, we got uh, New York Times did a great review. Variety covered us well. How does that feel? It's got to feel fantastic. It's... I, I don't know. I guess it's just wild. <laughs> yeah. Are you saving them? I'd be I'd be clipping them out and I'd be framing them. Yeah, yeah I do. You got it, right? Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. To love something... And, and put it out there to the world and then when it's met with I, I think one of the greatest gifts I got this year I mean aside from the movie coming out but um, you know for Father's Day um, I woke up and by my bed my wife and uh, kids framed the movie poster oh, for me to awesome. put in, the office, in, in my office that's fantastic and I and they knew exactly that I you know always tried to visualize the poster in my office that's fantastic but, but to have you know sitting there in the middle of your office and then reviews from a variety of the times and Roger Ebert's got to be like the greatest thing in the world so couldn't couldn't ask for a better example of the passion that makes us who we are and I uh, hope everybody goes out and watches and I hope you come back again next time when the next Anytime. one's done and Anytime. maybe we could do a screening for the audience out there because we, we do want to have more and more reasons for people to come together that'd be a lot of fun yeah that could be a lot of fun we but can do that if you're out there and you're listening and you know how to get to us on social media let us know if you'd like to come out and, and maybe we can do a little screening uh, Italian American podcast style of this great film Bottom of the Ninth and Robert can come out and, and talk to you about uh, what went behind this and, and even deeper what went into this great project so thanks again for being here no, thank you Joe. thank you guys out there for listening and we'll be back with you next week on the Italian American podcast 
seed that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great.